tunnel vision. Have you ever had to deal with somebody, a friend or family member, who became so focused on something that they weren't seeing the big picture anymore? They would, when other contrasting ideas or thoughts or even just life itself came up, they were focused on that one thing. You know, uh, you may have seen pictures of, of horses or been around horses with blinders on. You know, they, they put them on them to keep their eyes forward so they're not distracted by those things off to the side that might take their attention. And that's where we get that phrase, going through life with blinders on. Yeah. But that one thing is what maintains somebody's focus and they ignore everything else. Tunnel vision. Now, what's the problem with tunnel vision? You know, you, you miss other things you should have been paying attention to. There may be evidence right in front of you that you don't see. Right? Somebody may be able to put something clearly in front of you. And you see the world as you perceive it, as you wish to see it, rather than as it really is. It can be hard to break out of those mindsets Now, the Bible addresses an analogous phenomenon, sometimes called spiritual blindness, and we run into people in our lives who seem to avoid the truth, right? You may be able to lay things out for them, and as much as you try to be clear with the presentation, they don't see things rightly. Now, Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians. He says... But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, this spiritual blindness is not exactly the same thing as tunnel vision, but there are some similarities. And the reality is that the gospel is proclaimed in the midst of spiritual Blindness. So these two topics of gospel proclamation and spiritual blindness, they really go together. And that's why you see it coming up again and again in the New Testament as a theme. So this week, we're going to get to this closing section of Matthew's chapter 9, where Jesus heals the blind and the mute. And these physical ailments represent something greater, right? The spiritual blindness that comes from the fall. And we'll see this in the text, that Jesus is the one who heals blindness. So, if you turn to Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 27, it says, "In As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done for you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, Behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. 
And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything like this been seen in Israel. But the Pharisee said he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Okay, so Jesus is leaving the house of the official Jairus, which is the passage we saw last week. And he's walking, and these two men come up to him, and they're blind. And they call out to Jesus and ask for them to have mercy on them. And Jesus, they call him the son of David. Now, the son of David is another Messianic title. And we've seen this series of Messianic titles ascribed to Jesus throughout chapters 8 and 9 in the course of all these healings. So it's adding to the weight of evidence that Matthew is providing for us that Jesus is the Messiah. And he asked them if they believe that he is able to heal them. And these blind men do believe. Jesus commends them for their faith, and he heals them. And their eyes were opened physically at that moment. And Jesus warns them not to tell anyone. Of course, what do they do? Just like many others, they don't listen, and they go and spread his fame further and wider. And so his notoriety continues to grow through this. Now, on one level, this account looks like yet another in a long string of healing accounts. But there's more going on here. The Bible will often use something physical as a metaphor for a spiritual reality. And we see this in the prophets when they would do some strange things sometimes. They would point out how it reveals something that God is going to do or something about the people. And sometimes we call these enacted parables. And when there is an action that is symbolic of something else, and that might take many forms. Sometimes it's very symbolic, like Jeremiah. You know, he's, he's watching the potter make these pots. And then he's told to go and buy a pot and break it. And God says, I molded the clay, and that is Israel, and I will break them. And so sometimes it, uh, it's used as a, as a representation, to, to, as a teaching Mechanism. Other times, the teaching may be amplified by using just a simple example, like Jesus takes a child and says, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And that's less of a parable, more of a physical illustration to make a point. So, what about this theme of blindness? So, blindness is addressed particularly in Isaiah. Several times in Isaiah, blindness comes up. And the first one is there in Isaiah 6, verse 10. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Right, so that's from Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is commissioned to go out and proclaim on behalf of the Lord... And, you know, that proclamation is, is, he's called upon to do that proclamation in the midst of dull hearts and blind eyes. And Isaiah's prophecies and the tie-in to spiritual blindness continues. It's mentioned several times. And then we get to uh, chapter 35. You may remember I preached from Isaiah 35 about a year and a half ago, several months ago. And... Uh, There, we see several of the things we've been seeing in Matthew, in particular chapter 9, there in Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. 
So, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. So, these two passages from Isaiah set up a context for us. First, in Isaiah chapter 6, we see that the people of Israel are being spiritually blinded. And their hearts are hardened. And Isaiah is called to preach to them, even in the midst of hardened hearts. And the references to blindness continue, and then we get to chapter 35, and there's this promise of healing and restoration, and we read from the wider passage, and it's a pretty all-encompassing passage. It talks about the, the whole healing that comes with the Messianic kingdom. And... So there's this promise of healing and restoration that's brought about by the coming Messiah. And when the physical effects of sin are removed from the earth. And notice how the healings in Matthew chapter 9 line up with those from Isaiah 35. In Matthew 9, 1 through 8, we have the healing of the paralytic. And Isaiah 35, 6 says the lame man will leap like a deer. In uh, Matthew 9, we have the healing of the blind. We're talking about that this week in Isaiah 35. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. In Matthew 9, the Jesus heals the mute. And Isaiah 35 says the mute will sing for joy. And so in Matthew 9, Jesus fulfills the prophecies of Isaiah 35 specifically. And Jesus' healing of the blind is this enacting of these Messianic promises from Isaiah. And so Matthew is helping us to see that this is the dawning of the Messianic age. We've been building this argument for a couple chapters now. Right, the bringing of the new covenant. These healings are not just physical healings. They're pointing out who Jesus is and the reason that he came. And Jesus is the Messiah, and he came to bring restoration both physically and spiritually. And we have to ask, who else in Scripture heals the blind? Can you think of any examples? Right, Think through that. Do any of the prophets heal the blind? There are many healings. And Jesus' healings do echo those healings of the prophets, but something is different here because only Jesus heals the blind. And yet in the Old Testament, the healing of the blind is something ascribed to the Lord multiple times. So you can look at Psalm 146, verse 8. It tells us that the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Jesus is the one who heals the blind. That miracle is reserved for Christ. And so there's this connection here. And we, we're, we're going to see this, you know, how Jesus' healings and spiritual blindness are tied together in this passage. Right, so Jesus healed many, and we've been seeing that again and again as we go through Matthew. A while back, I pointed out how the healings in chapter 8, combined with the titles and authority ascribed to Jesus... Help us to see that he is the promised Messiah. Now in chapter 9, we see this connection with Isaiah, and in particular Isaiah 35, which points to, again, his role as Messiah. And what we need to see is this unique contribution of this particular healing. First, right, he's healing blindness, which is unique in Scripture. Second, Isaiah ties that blindness to spiritual blindness of the people. So this is... The whole point of how it's used in Isaiah. And notice that they express faith 
right? The, these blind men express faith when Jesus comes to them, and Jesus recognizes their faith. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. So Jesus' words, in fact, draw us in to focus on their profession of faith. It makes it explicit, saying, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. So he heals them. And you may remember the emphasis on faith in the text last week as well. And there's similar ties in from some of the other healing accounts. But I, I think that there is a growing emphasis on it here. There's a growing emphasis on, on this tie into faith and also the compassion that Jesus is showing here. And we're going to get to where that's leading in a few minutes. So Jesus is holding off for now. He says, you know, he's not ready to go to Jerusalem yet. And he tells them not to tell anyone. And still, it says they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Now, their faith is amazing in this context. Because these blind men who physically cannot see have the faith to see spiritually. There's a contrast there. That contradiction that those who physically are limited are the ones with spiritual eyes to see the truth. And while in a few verses we're going to see that the Pharisees who do see physically are spiritually blind. Now, Paul and spiritual blindness. Some may ask about that, right? Where else is somebody healed of blindness? Paul. So let's talk about that. Right? On the road to Damascus, Paul's made blind, and then he, he's healed as he interacts with Ananias. But that event also is in the context of spiritual blindness. And Paul ascribes that encounter to Christ as his own encounter with Christ. So even in that context, Christ is healing Paul from spiritual blindness. I think that's the, the whole point of that account. And this theme continues in the New Testament, and Paul uses the, the theme of spiritual blindness. And we've made a few references so far to 2 Corinthians, but another one from 2 Corinthians 4. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Spiritual blindness continues in the New Testament. It continues in the Gospels. We see multiple references there. There's a similar reference in Matthew 21, verse 14. He says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did... And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Again, another son of David reference. They were indignant. So notice how upset the priests and scribes were at this development. They were indignant. And the Pharisees back in Matthew chapter 9 were very similar. Let's look more closely at that now. Right? As we talk about the mute speaking. Right? So as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. 
And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. So this time there is a demon-possessed man, and the text does not comment much on the demon itself. But there, it is continuing the storyline. This time the mute speak, and the Pharisees react negatively. They, they're seeking to undermine what Jesus is doing. So they're undermining Jesus' authority by what they say, even as Jesus' authority is growing in the sight of the people. Right? And the reference to the demon here comes into play because that's how the Pharisees respond to Jesus. But why in this particular miracle, the mute speak? So what we're going to see is as these, uh, these healings are enacted in reality, they're pointing to spiritual realities behind them. So we saw that with the blind, and here we see it again. The mute speaking is more than healing those who cannot speak. The mute speaking connects with these same prophecies from Isaiah, but also points ahead to where we're heading in Matthew. So we're heading into chapter 10, which is where Jesus speaks of the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. And in the very next section, he says that he will send workers into the harvest. And this is the context that we're setting this miracle in, where the mute speak. And so those who were not able to speak now proclaim the healing that comes from Jesus. And these events presented in real history are teaching us something about Christ and about his mission and about ourselves. And so through his mission, people are healed, not just physically, but spiritually. And that need for spiritual sight and the response of the mute speaking leads us into this topic of gospel proclamation that is the reality that the the miracle is pointing towards. So, good news is proclaimed. Chapter 10, the next chapter, will focus on the harvest of the kingdom. There are five sermons in Matthew. If you look at the big structure of Matthew, we spent a long time in that first one, the Sermon on the Mount. The second one is in chapter 10. It's the Sermon on Evangelism, or the harvest. The third one is... Um, the, the parables, the fourth one is the church, and the fifth one is the Olivet Discourse. And these sections in between are what Jesus did, are pointing at and structured around those major discourses. And so what we're seeing is these accounts of what Jesus is doing are leading up to what is coming in this next chapter, in chapter 10, which is all about the proclamation of the kingdom. So, So what we're going to see is that, you know, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, what was it talking about? It was talking about how uh, Jesus was proclaiming that he would establish a new kingdom people, and this is what a new kingdom people would look like. And then we get into chapters 8 and 9, and we're seeing that he is the Messiah, the one who will bring this kingdom to be. And now we're starting to see a little more detail in how will he bring that kingdom to be? What will the means be that he, in part, he will use the proclamation of the gospel to bring sight to the blind? So the good news is to be proclaimed and is to be believed. Why is it proclaimed? Because this is how spiritual blindness will be confronted. How will the spiritual blindness be healed? How will the mute speak and the deaf hear? How will the good news be proclaimed? Chapter 9 sets up what is coming, send workers into the harvest, which is the next passage that we'll talk about later.
So, there's spiritual blindness among the people. They need to see. The, the mute need to speak. The deaf need to hear. The lame need to leap for joy, respond in worship for what God has done for them. And these physical healings point towards this spiritual reality. So prophecy is fulfilled in Christ. Later in Matthew, right, after chapter 10 comes chapter 11, and we have another tie-in to this chapter. Uh, Jesus is approached by John's disciples, asking if he is the one. How does Jesus respond? He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. He's basically saying, look what I've done in chapter 9 and chapter 10. And that fulfills Isaiah 35. That's the evidence that Jesus gives to John's disciples. So, the paralytic can walk, the blind receive sight, the deaf hear. Chapter 10, the poor will have good news preached to them. What was promised in Isaiah 35 will come to pass. It's enacted in Matthew 9 to 10, and Jesus use it to rec- uses it to recount to John's disciples in chapter 11. So each of these accounts contribute to the evidence that Jesus will give. And this evidence is measured against prophecy. And you, as you read, you have a front row seat to see it all play out in the text. These things were written for you, beloved, that you might believe that you might have faith in Christ. So Jesus' ministry is the coming messianic kingdom, and it fulfills what was spoken by the prophets, and his work involves both physical healing, but is about more than that. It's also about restoring the world and healing what is broken. And people will focus on other aspects of these verses. They may focus on demon possession. So let's talk about that for a little bit. There's not much actually said about the demon possession here. But some things we need to get about demon possession in the Gospels. Not all physical illnesses are attributed to demons. This particular case of the mute man was, other cases were not. In Matthew chapter 4, 24, it distinguishes between demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics. There are places where certain conditions would be attributed to demon possession, but many others where a similar ailment will have no mention of demons. Also, these are not psychological conditions. Some have attempted to explain these in light of modern phenomenon or psychological diagnoses and drug use, brain damage, psychological disorders. In this case, Matthew specifically mentions the presence of a malevolent being, which we call a demon, who works for Satan. The causes are not attributed to accidents or other disorders. Faith is not a prerequisite for healing. Now, Aaron addressed this last week, so I won't go into detail here, but nothing is said here about the faith of the mute. Right? The, the blind man expressed faith, but the mute man did not. And we see examples of both, or at least before being healed, that is. And so Jesus is healing out of compassion and to announce the coming kingdom and to demonstrate who he is. But one reason the demon is mentioned is because of the way the Pharisees respond to Jesus. It's mentioned because... In part of their argument, 
But the Pharisee said, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. So they want to undermine this message by turning it on its head, saying that Jesus heals by the work of demons. And of course, this is ludicrous, as we saw in the demons in the tombs uh, a while back. Uh, They're malevolent. They don't want to seek what is good in the eyes of God. This account points to how Jesus is working through the power of God to bring about what is good. And this contrast between reality and what the Pharisees assert is presented to you, the reader, to help you see what's going on here. There's this stark contrast between, in particular, these two blind men and the Pharisees here. So, we're beginning to see this immense need among the people. Jesus has compassion on them and also sees their real need is more than physical or even battling spiritual forces. Their real need is reconciliation with God and being healed from the effects of sin, the removal of their spiritual blindness. Now, I would argue that the role of Messiah is all of the above. There's a holistic aspect to Jesus' role as Messiah, and we saw that back in Isaiah 35. But this particular passage is emphasizing something for us. There's one thing that we need to take away, right? Jesus is the one who comes to take away blindness. And that final verse 34 of this passage this week reminds us again of spiritual blindness. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was there anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. So these Pharisees are blind, and they are hostile to Jesus. So what does it show? It shows their antagonism. Matthew is trying to show us that Jesus is God who fulfills the Messianic promises. He brings healing, both physical and spiritual. That teaching is diametrically opposed with what the Pharisees are insinuating. And here they claim that Jesus is not on God's side and instead on the side of demons. Jesus specifically fulfills Isaiah 35, and they claim that he represents demons. And these two things do not go together. The hard truth is that after all this talk of spiritual blindness, the Pharisees are the ones who are spiritually blind. They are not able to see the truth even as it is laid out in front of them. So, it also shows blindness. Another role played by this note about the Pharisees is this juxtaposition between their spiritual blindness and the mission that Jesus is about to send his disciples out upon. The harvest is abundant, the workers are few, therefore pray for the Lord to send, uh, of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. The gospel mission is tied to this issue of spiritual blindness. The workers are sent out to proclaim the message of the kingdom in order that those who are blind may see. It also contrasts the spiritually blind with the physically blind. Right? The, the blind men who were healed do not have 
um, physical sight at, at the point that they come to Jesus, but they do see rightly. They have spiritual sight that's been granted to them by the Lord. And those who are physically blind, right, they're the ones who truly see. So they place their faith in Christ, and their story is an image of awakening from spiritual blindness. Their healing is an announcement of the coming Messianic kingdom, and the blind and the mute have the honor of playing a part in that announcement, but the Pharisees do not see spiritually. Do you see the irony in there? The the one who is supposed to lead the people, who, who knows the scripture, those who have been waiting for the promises to be fulfilled, are spiritually blind and do not see. In their urgency to defend truth, they propagate error. And they're blind to the reality of the work being done in their midst. They're indignant about it. They're so focused on the wrong things that they miss the bigger point because they have blinders on. So the topics of spiritual blindness and proclamation go together. People go through life thinking that they understand. They consider themselves in right standing with God, seeing but not perceiving. They see something, but they don't see the world as it is. Instead, they see the world as they would prefer it to be. And even if they see physically, they are blind. But know this, beloved. Know that Jesus is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. Some approach those who are spiritually blind as though our eloquence or skill will give them sight. The power of the gospel is not found in our words, but in the God who removes blindness. And so we're called to be faithful. He sends his workers into the harvest. That's the means he has chosen to bring about the proclamation of the good news of his arrival. But only Jesus heals the blind. And this should be something that frees us from the weight and burden of thinking that our own performance is the deciding factor. We are called to be faithful, but Jesus is the one who opens blind eyes. So let's pray for God to open the eyes of the blind. Let's trust the faithfulness of our God. Who, let's turn to him who brings renewal and restoration to lives to restore sight. And so even as we seek to be faithful, we turn to our Lord because it's only through him that life comes, new life. And so let's pray for God to open the eyes of the blind. Let's also consider our own spiritual state and speak gospel into our own lives. Right? Lest we be those who physically see but are spiritually blind. Let's come before the Lord in humility and dependence. And let that dependence upon the Lord be the basis of your confidence in him. Right, we turn to the one who heals, the one who is faithful, and let's renew our trust in him and let that good news shape us. Right, consider our own spiritual state and apply the gospel in our lives regularly. And let's speak with boldness. Right, his people who were once lame, blind, and mute now leap for joy in worship 
Now see the restoration that he brings. And now speak the good news of his coming. And so, Paul, when addressing this topic, says, since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. You encounter people in your life who are blind to the gospel. But knowing that Christ heals blindness, we are free to speak with boldness. And let our confidence in him free us to act with great boldness. But entrust upon him. So, brothers and sisters, take confidence knowing that through Jesus, the blind see and the mute speak. And that's something that is reserved for him. And this shows to us that he, what he came to do, what he came to establish. He came to establish something new. In a world with blindness and darkness, he's the one who comes to set things right. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have promised restoration to the earth. And that includes restoration that you bring to your people. And Lord, that you will save, not just in one way, but in all ways. You bring renewal to the earth. You remove ailments, and you bring new life. So Lord, help us to take joy in knowing that you heal the blind. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.